Hi, my name is Beth and I'm a psychological wellbeing practitioner from Newcastle. I just wanted to say the biggest thank you to the contributors of the Clinical Psychologist Collective book. I've enjoyed reading this so much and loved having an insight into the range of backgrounds and experiences people have prior to applying for the doctorate and it's been really interesting seeing the potential barriers to the application as well and how I can try and work around this. I really started to doubt myself and whether I was good enough to apply for the clinical psychology doctorate but this has really given me the confidence boost that I needed to give it a shot so the biggest thank you ever. If you're looking to become a psychologist Then let this be your guide With this podcast at your side You'll be on your way to being qualified It's the Aspiring Psychologist Podcast With Dr. Marianne Trent Hi, welcome along to the Aspiring Psychologist podcast. It can be so tricky in the middle of busy lives to find ways to cope with what life throws at us. Um, Whether you are working with clients, whether you are juggling work commitments and family commitments and just life laundry stuff it can be really really tricky and finding ways um, that can be useful for our own mental health and well-being and also that of our clients can be really transformational and sometimes trying on different approaches for size can be really useful ahead of doing that with your clients and there's lots spoken in the media about mindfulness and its benefits and today I'm going to be joined by Amy Polly who is a mindfulness expert and I hope you will find our discussion around how she got into it, how she uses it for her own family and for her clients to be really really useful. I will look forward to catching up with you on the other side. I hope you find it useful. Hi welcome along. Today we are joined by Amy Polly who is a mindfulness expert. Hi Amy thank you for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, so good to have you here. So I thought it would be useful for us to share with our audience a little bit about you and how you got into mindfulness, if that's okay. Yeah, of course. So I I always tell this story. This is my origin story (laughs) for mindfulness. Um, I was going through a period of stress. So I, in my previous uh, life, not really, not that long ago, I was an accountant for nearly 19 years. Um, And at the time I had quite a stressful job that was running around in my mind a lot of the time. And I was in a relationship that wasn't very healthy for me. And so I was really, really stressed. And the first thing that I really noticed was, and I don't know about you, but it's affected my sleep and it affected my eating. But the thing for me is I know I can function without a bit of food, but without my sleep, I'm not okay. Um, And it got to the point where I just wasn't falling asleep very easily and I wasn't sleeping well. Um, And I'm pretty sure that it must have been a middle of the night Google uh, where I thought to myself, so I need help with this. Um, And I came across meditation and mindfulness and I stuck something on YouTube. And I, I always say this is no word of a lie. Within about three or four days, I just started to drift off 
easier into sleep and the quality of my sleep was just a little bit better um and at that point with my mind I just needed to know everything so I bought a book about mindfulness I started watching videos on YouTube and that was nine or ten years ago now um so as I started to delve into it more I signed up to do a diploma in meditation I signed up to do a diploma in mindfulness and then it's almost like this gateway to a whole new world of understanding yourself and looking after yourself um and my nanny had dementia my mum had suffered with depression um and me going through my own journey I sort of told her all about it and so we sort of went on that journey a little bit together and I helped her and every time I'd learn something I'd go and sort of practice with my mum um and it just really changed things for me it changed my perspective on things it changed the way that we dealt with things together um and in all honesty, it was just eye-opening and it was life-changing for me. Um, and so, yeah, nine or ten years ago that was. And here we are now and I've decided to run a business based on it. <laughs> That's an incredible story. And absolutely the words in my mind were life-changing, you know, mm. for that that random Google. Um, you know, yeah. it sounds like you were really suffering um, quite a lot at that time with what was going on in your work and just mind Yes. mind fog um, and that's really led you to a very interesting path that helps not only yourself um, but loads of other people as well and it, it really is my passion I think because it helped me so much and I, I think it's a lot I've spoke to another mindfulness teacher last week we had a little catch-up and it was the same for him he had his journey before he I, I never knew I would want to teach this to people I was just doing it for me then I was sharing it with my mum but I think as we have our experiences and you keep having those moments of realization about how much it's helped you um you know I had a miscarriage before I had my son and I don't think I would have dealt with that the way that I did if I hadn't already had a mindfulness practice that I'd been practicing for quite a while um and lots of other things that happened in life I had postnatal anxiety after I had my son um again my mum was there to support me but also in supporting myself I had my mindfulness practice and I think people think it's like this woo-woo word and people say mindfulness and they just think oh it's having a calm mind and meditating and it's not it's so much more than that it really is a practice it's like a brain training to allow our brain to deal with basically the shit <laughs> in life in a better way um and it doesn't always it's not always perfect I still get angry I still get sad uh you know I still lose my mind sometimes and um you know I'm still a human being but it's just helped me so much I couldn't not share it with people <laughs> yeah I think you're right I think sometimes I think because of the media attention and the press it's got it it can scare people off a little bit because it does seem a little bit new age it does seem a little bit crystal healing but it doesn't need to be, does it? It can just be mainstream and part of your everyday life. Yeah, and you know what? So this whole thing I always say is BS, this empty your mind thing. Um, I was diagnosed with ADHD last year, so I didn't even know this is why my brain is the way it is. It's been really interesting to understand that. Um, but I know that I've got a very chatty, noisy brain that sees in words and pictures. And I don't have a quiet brain like ever. Um, even in meditation, I have to do things a certain way. Um, and this whole empty your mind thing, I think people think mindfulness, meditation, empty your mind, I feel perfect and serene. And it's literally not that. Mindfulness is the awareness of what's going on at the end of the day. Mindfulness isn't just meditation. So we might use meditation to get into some nice states and 
yes, breathing in a certain way will calm us. Um, and visualizations can be very lovely and relaxing. But actually, you might do a meditation one day where you notice that your breathing is shallow and your chest is tight because you're feeling anxious. Is that emptying your mind? Is that calm? No. Is it mindfulness? Yes, um, because it's awareness. And so I think we just need to go right back to the beginning of educating people on what mindfulness is <clears throat> and how it can help us but in our everyday life. Like it's not this big, I need to go to a mountaintop and sit, like you say, with crystals, although I do like a few crystals in my house. Um, but it's not that. It's not rainbows and unicorns. It's a brain training to be able to be aware of what's going on in and around you. And then when we've got that awareness, hopefully it's a bit easier to manage those things. Yeah, I think that is a nice distinction just to welcome people in wherever they are right now. Um, I know when I was first learning about it, it actually did scare me off and I did actually quit mm. my mindfulness course um, because I was in my third year as a trainee at that point, third and final year. And they were like, well, you're going to need to spend you know, an hour a day sort of laying still on the floor um and you know cancel any plans you've got basically and I was like Do you know what I haven't actually got time or the inclination to do that you know I'd moved in with my partner who's now my husband like a year before when I was having a busy life I didn't have children at that time but if I'd had children that certainly would have been a no-go you know and so I think it was just something about the way that that was taught not as everyday chunks of time but as a standard you know hour yeah and it, do you know what it, it, it infuriates me a little bit because I just think for me I want to make it accessible and I would I want people to have it as a practice so I don't want to discourage people from doing it and at the end of the day wouldn't we all like to have an hour to lay down in silence and whatever but the reality is that most people don't have that opportunity and you can still reap the benefits I mean you know how the brain works you can still reap the benefits without having to lay there for an hour in silence and that's I think for me the big thing that we need to bust I mean when I was naming my business Re Re mindfulness rebel was what I called myself and rebellion is my business because it's just breaking those norms, especially around mental health and well-being and mindfulness. Um, and actually, I started my practice with three minutes a day. So a meditation, consciously choosing to meditate for three minutes a day. That's a start. And it's better to have a small practice every day than to have a big practice every now and again. Like That's not a habit, is it? Um, and so for me, especially working a lot with mums, it's about how can we incorporate this into every day? Yes, consciously choosing to sit in meditation is really important. That's like going for the gym going to the gym for our mind. Um, you can't get a six pack without exercising the muscles, the same as, you know, our brain needs the exercise. And you can, you, I always say it like this, you can walk instead of taking the car, you can take the stairs instead of the lift. That's your everyday practice. That's your everyday looking after your physical health. Well, your mindfulness everyday practice is what you do in your boring mundane everyday tasks. You don't have to sit for an hour, but you can practice mindfulness when you're brushing your teeth, having a shower, eating your food, God, we don't do that at all. Uh, you know, having a walk, washing up the pots, whatever it is, you can practice mindfulness every day. Um, and that for me is like the big myth busting that we still need to do. Okay, so I think many of our audience are having time at least to brush their teeth twice a day. So <laughs> could you talk us through how you might be really mindful in those two minutes, um, morning and evening? 
Sure. So I um, actually, just before I explain that, I uh, work for a charity. So my local mental health charity. So people that come along there are usually prescribed by someone for my eight week course. Um, so I do volunteer work during the day, drop in sessions. Then we have the eight week course for people that need to maybe have a little bit of help with things. So these are people that aren't mentally well. And I was having a chat and we were doing a session. And one of the ladies said to me, because I was talking about brushing, brushing my teeth. It's one that I always go to, I think, because I really like it because it's got so many different sensations. Um, and she went, yes, but it's not the same as, you know, if paying attention to sitting outside and looking at the tr- a nice tree or flowers or whatever. And I said, it is exactly the same. I said, your brain doesn't know what it's paying attention to. It might feel nicer for you to be outside looking at a beautiful scenery, but your brain engaging that prefrontal cortex of your brain doesn't know if it's at a beautiful rainbow or if it's looking at, at you brushing your teeth um and it was almost like a little light bulb moment she was like oh okay so I can do both um and then we talked about how to do that so when we're brushing our teeth for example or anything it's all about engaging as many of our senses as possible um and for someone with me like a really chatty mind Sometimes it helps me to almost narrate it a little bit um, and label what I can smell, what I can taste, what I can hear. Um, But just coming back to those senses. So when you're brushing your teeth, so many of them are being activated. So you can smell your toothpaste you can taste the toothpaste you can hear the sound of the toothbrush on your teeth you've got the sensation of touch either onto your teeth or in your hand um, and it's just about coming back to all those micro senses like really honing in on all of those things and when you do that you are so present in the moment you are very highly unlikely to be thinking about the to-do list or what happened yesterday um do, do you know what i mean so it's really about bringing your attention to the moment which sounds a little bit like oh how am I going to do that but that's how we start using our senses in everyday tasks and I think that's so much more get on boardable with yes. than, than, than learning with a raisin you know <laughs> oh the by the way Right. I have to say, I do do the raisin just because it is a really good thing for, especially if I'm teaching online, I know people might be able to get a raisin or a nut or whatever it is. Um, But I always tell the story of right at the beginning of my journey, I've been practicing mindfulness for a bit. um, And I said to one of my colleagues, oh, there's a mindfulness for managers course. Let's go because we might be able to do this for people. Uh, uh, Even then, obviously, there was something within me that wanted to start sharing. And I just remember, and I'm not, this isn't about the guy at all. He was very lovely, but sitting in a hotel conference room with a guy standing there in a grey suit and tie telling me to listen to a raisin was honestly one of the funniest experiences ever so I do the raisin exercise but I never ask anyone to listen to it <laughs> it still makes me laugh now I'm not gonna say very much <laughs> no but in case people are listening to this they're like I don't even know why you're talking about raisins could you give us a, just a very quick overview yeah. of the raisin yeah, be quick. exercise um so the raisin exercise really is just an example in being aware so it's one of the first things we do when we start a meditation course just to show people how unaware they are because you've probably never really studied a raisin and like I say it by looking at it by touching it by tasting it we are using all of our senses um and so it's just a way to get people to interact with being mindful especially if you're getting someone to come and sit down and do this thing how do you show them awareness we use a raisin (laughs) brilliant and I'm really heartened with the idea that it doesn't matter what we're looking at so long as we're doing it because actually my bathroom is still the only room in the house that needs to be refurbed so it's not that nice but it's going to be as beneficial for me to be mindful in there as it is if I am by a waterfall you know doing something lovely (laughs) That's really good to know, really good to know. So, you know, lots of the time with our audience, you know, they're managing big caseloads. There's 
you know, clinical risk that they're managing. They've got, you know, supervisor pressure, pressure from family and home life. It's a lot, you know. How could, you know, have you got a top tip um, for how to kind of reduce and manage burnout by using mindfulness? Yeah, so a couple of things. Really, mindfulness is something that's proactive and that we should create a practice. So that's the first thing. If you're interested in mindfulness, I would say just get started. Have a look what's out there. You can even go on YouTube. You can see if there's courses, um, but it's a practice. So it's really important to do that proactive stuff. So rather than just going, I need mindfulness now because I'm stressed out, actually practicing it when everything's all good. So actually when you are by the waterfalls or you're out on a day out or you're in a hot tub or whatever you're doing, by being engaging your senses in the good times as well um, and just starting to get interested in it. Meditate as often as you can by the way not all meditations are equal some people's voices will really annoy you so feel free to turn it off and try another one because that's really important (laughs) don't sit there like gritting your teeth to get through it if someone's irritating um so what i would say is the the proactive work we need to put that in you know like i said about the six pack you're not going to get a six pack without exercising the muscle and mindfulness is the same we need to make a practice we need to create a new habit um but what i would say is so start with the basics being aware in our everyday choosing a small mindfulness uh, meditation each day um but when we go through a mindfulness course we start to realize that there's so much more to mindfulness than just meditation and just being aware it really allows us to start to understand how our brain works um and one of the big things about awareness is you'll get to know yourself a bit more and I'll get to know myself a bit more. I'll know the things that trigger anxiety in me. I'll know the things that trigger stress. I know the things that that will be um, flags that are leading to burnout, for example. We need awareness to notice those things. That's why the proactive mindfulness really works well. Um, But as we go through the course, you know, we talk about other things like managing our reactions because our brain works super quick and we need jerk into things. Um, Letting things be is another big area that we talk about because especially if you are stressed out, like you say, got these cases you've got clients you've got worries we have to come back to the reality and a big part of mindfulness is having an awareness of what's going on and having a reality check so the question I always say is what what can't I change what can't I control try to let those things be like let those things go and actually put our time energy and focus into the things we can control the things we can change and that's a really big shift in mindset and in where your energy is going because we can sit and stew on a lot of things we can stress about a lot of things but most of the time they've already happened or they certainly haven't happened yet so actually that question and I think that's one of the big parts of mindfulness is thinking about where our awareness attention and our energy is going and so we can pose those questions to ourselves particularly if we're starting to feel stressed. Like, why am I feeling stressed? Is this real? Is this actually real life? Or is it something that hasn't happened yet or happened in the past? Because that's that's not here now. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, it really does. It really does. We can be swept away, can't we, by things that, that may never happen um, or are not within our immediate future. And it's really easy, you know, And when I was going through that time when I couldn't sleep, I'd be driving along in my car stewing, stewing on things that had happened. And that would then be informing worries that I would be having about the future. Never was I very present in the moment. And that stewing was really what led me down that spiral of, you know, negative thinking and anxiety. Um, and I've now learned, you know, driving is one of the places where I think a lot. Um, and I now try to just practice mindfulness even when I'm driving and I didn't know this was done in courses where people have been caught 
speeding and stuff I only found that out in the last couple of months um that you just label what you can see and it's about that paying attention um, and bringing yourself back to the moment and you know it isn't all woo woo it's just about training your brain to do that because every time that your mind flitters off somewhere and you pull it back to pay attention to the thing that's right in front of you you just practice mindfulness and so I always say there's no like failing if you're sitting in meditation and people say like, oh, I've had a bad meditation. No one has a bad meditation. You just meditated. And each time your mind wanders off, because sometimes you'll sit in meditation and you'll feel like, oh, that was I, I paid attention to my breathing and I did that really well today. Another day you'll think, oh, my mind just didn't settle. But you will have gone somewhere in your thoughts and pulled it back to the meditation. Give yourself a pat on the back. Each time you've done that, you've just practiced mindfulness. Yeah, and I think when I work with people and we've done some elements of mindfulness or guided imagery type stuff, people can be quite mean to themselves when they wander <laughs> off track. But it's about that gently returning yourself without criticism. That's the word I always Yeah, gently. Yeah. And, uh, and that, you know, that nods to when we get to sort of the latter part of our mindfulness course, compassion and kindness is a huge area that we talk about how are you looking after yourself how are you being kind to yourself and it keeps coming back and we say it all the time and it comes with practice but you wouldn't speak to your worst enemy the way that you speak to yourself sometimes um and it does come back to compassion and kindness and giving yourself a little bit of leeway for being a human being i think people often think you know i'm going to practice mindfulness and meditation it has to be perfect because that's what we see on instagram and facebook and whatever and it's not we're human beings with a human brain that is wired a certain way to protect us we don't need that so much nowadays but there's still things that triggers us and i think one of the big things about our mindfulness practice is having that compassion for ourselves to accept that we're human and things aren't always going to go to plan and we're going to make mistakes and that's okay i just think you know social media and being online a lot of the time makes us think that we're not allowed to make mistakes but we absolutely are um and like you say it's about being kind there's no failing there's no wrong um it's just about a practice and you know most of the time when people are doing this practice it's because they want to look after themselves a little bit better um so yeah kindness and compassion is huge some of the stuff you mentioned there you know when you're struggling to stay present in the now because of stuff from then or stuff from that's going to happen it's actually you know symptoms of trauma isn't it and then symptoms of hypervigilance about what's going to come is all tied up in trauma as well so by really trying to stay in the present we're really trying to help you know the brain and the body and the mind know that that's not now that was then or that's going to be what may or may not come to pass and that can be really useful as well well it really affects our you know our nervous system and you know well you do know the the way that our body and our mind works is that we don't actually know if we are in that situation or if we're thinking about being in that situation we still release those stress chemicals and hormones so actually it really is beneficial for us physiologically to be better at being present in the moment because when we start to ponder on those things or take ourselves back to a it could be a traumatic place or just a generally stressful place or for me for example when I had postnatal anxiety being in that space like I could feel those feelings in my body like that physiologically something was happening and so I think you know often we think like I said before that mindfulness is this woo woo la la thing that we're going to do in a perfectly quiet space and it isn't it's really useful in helping us to manage our mental health 
but also that impacts our physical health. And if we start thinking about mental health as a whole, I started to create a toolkit for the sessions that I was leading. And you know what's going to be on there. We talk about eating, we talk about sleep, we talk about human connection. Um, but mindfulness sits at the core because we have to have that awareness to be able to do all of those other things. Um, so yeah, it can be really life changing. And I know you said to me earlier about not looking my age or whatever, but I think part of that is just been looking after myself. Um, and you know, stress can be aging can't it um not to say I never have any stress but I just feel like sometimes we just accept these high levels of stress but it's doing so can actually learn a new way of managing it and that's what I think I want for people yeah yeah I love that it can have a total impact on your mind your body your soul um all of that and it's yeah it can be life-changing like it has been for you it really has and I, do, I honestly don't know what I would have done in those really difficult times, those things that have happened in my personal life, if I didn't have that practice, like I just can't even imagine it. I can't imagine not having, I, I just I just can't. I just don't know what I would have done. <laughs> I just don't know what I would have done. It's like future-proofing yourself, isn't it? Learning the stuff now so that when you need it um, later along the road, perhaps at times you can't even imagine yeah. you've got that in the bank, you've got that yeah. ready. Yeah. And I, I, and you know, when I, when I had postnatal anxiety, cause I've never had anxiety in my life. I, I've never had anything like that. It was very much linked to the, to the birth of my baby. Um, and you know, one of the things that my mindfulness practice also helped me with wasn't just my mindfulness practice. It was the awareness that I needed help because I was so in tune with how I usually thought, and felt and my emotions and I could see what was happening and that it I, I was not okay and so I did actually get some additional help um even still last year I was working through and had some therapy um because I think I had that awareness of what sort of my baseline if you like um and when I knew that my practice wasn't helping me so it made sure that I actually went and, and got some more help as well yeah yeah it, it teaches that awareness doesn't it and I love that idea of what your your baseline is you know normal for Amy yeah um, which might is be different, different for everyone than, right <laughs> yeah absolutely but you knew that that wasn't you thriving um and you felt that you had more that you could give yourself and um you know this new relationship that you've got with your little boy um yeah. you know to supercharge that as well and just help everything flow that much easier yeah we, we, we're getting there it's still not it's still you know it was only I mean lockdown didn't help because a lot of my anxiety was around actually leaving the house so I had friends this is another important thing about mindfulness actually is communication I am not afraid to communicate <clears throat> and I understand what I probably need to communicate not always my my ADHD brain also is not good at that so it's a it's a give and take but um I would talk to friends about it and they'd start to open up to me. Um, and it, I, I never even knew some of my bestest friends were experiencing what they were experiencing. And someone at the time, we'd not long had our babies, um, you know, from each other. Um, and she said, I feel exactly the same, except when I'm indoors and staying at home. So we had the same symptoms, but the trigger for us was completely different. And again, it's about that understanding and knowing that it's different for everybody. And I knew that I needed help to get out of the house and she knew she needed help to stay in the house and like now I just don't think the pandemic helped me particularly because it meant that I could stay in the house and I was safe in my mind um and so I think that's elongated my process to where we are now but I'm very happy to say that 
uh, I have a picture of it actually that I took into the garden center um, for lunch on our own and that was only a few months ago um, and I got a picture of us and that was a big deal for me so it's not just practicing mindfulness and working in the mental health space doesn't mean that we all have it all together but it means I understand when I need help and I took my time and yeah I'm happy to say we've been out and about now in the summer so it's really good. <laughs> oh I'm really pleased to hear that and I know you've been starting to use mindfulness with your with your little boy as well and that's something that you really advocate teaching young people mindfulness and that might be something that our audience can either do with their own children or in services they might be working with with children and young people could you give us a few top tips for how to build that into working with little ones yeah do you know what and I mentioned this to you before we got started but they just don't question things so much as adults do um if you ask, I, I, it, will, it will just stay with me forever. I had this group of beavers on Zoom and they're all messing about. I can see them all on their screens and doing this, that and the other. And I asked them just to notice their breathing. So we did some breathing and we were counting it and they all just stopped and did it. No, they don't question anything. And I talked about mindfulness and I talked about paying attention to, you know, nice things that kids are going to want to be involved in. And I just really think that we can lead by example with this. So when it comes to kids, like make things fun. So with my little boy, for example, if we're out and about, I've said to him before, mindfulness means we have a little book that we read and I say, what does mindfulness? And he says, what I can see, what I can smell, what I can hear. So when we're out on a walk, I'll just say to him, what can we smell? What can we see? What can we hear? So he's just practicing a bit of mindfulness. He doesn't need to know why or how or whatever. We're just practicing. Um, and then the same with his breathing. And he even does this, I posted on LinkedIn this morning, he does this to me so how wonderful is that like I've taught him something and when he's really upset or crying or say he's fallen over or whatever it is um or he's probably having a tantrum and we do the breathing technique and hand on the heart and the other day I really hurt my knee I bashed I really bashed my knee and I had a, a couple of tears and he just came over to me and put his hand on me and went it's okay don't worry just breathe <laughs> no, it's not that's my boy um and you know like I say just make it fun and the breath is a wonderful one to come back to because everybody's got breath everybody's got breathing and it's something that we can get them to count or we can do it with them sometimes as well if they're really little ones you can put your hand on their heart and ask them to notice the rise and fall um but there's so many lovely things that we can do with kids and I think it starts with us actually um if we have a bit of a practice then we can share that with them and then we can practice together and what's nicer than that yeah, absolutely. It sounds like golden moments there. But you're right, you know, breathing is really one of the things that is truly mindful because you can't breathe in the past and you can't breathe in the present. It's only right now. I love yeah. that. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you hoped I would? Uh, no I don't think so I hope that I always get so in the zone and I, I feel like oh did I say everything I wanted to say I think my my overarching thing is I just want people to switch the view of mindfulness into knowing that it's something that is for anybody and everybody and yes some people find it easier than others some people resonate with certain things and others but it really is for everybody and I just implore people to get started to just look into it and don't believe that it's this empty mind zen robot it isn't it's just a practice to understand how your brain works to get to know you a little bit better and then learn some techniques to help you manage the stresses and strains of everyday life um, which we all have um, so yeah and once you've learned whether you do a course or whatever you decide to do it's free forever like you've got it forever um so actually it's just bloody amazing and I love it 
you get to keep that in your head, don't you? You know, yeah. and it becomes part of yourself and your future interactions. And I used it even, you know, this weekend just gone. I was um, a lovely little cottage with some of my friends, a hot tub in the Malvern Hills. It was gorgeous. Um, and we were like, well, let's just just take a moment to just soak this in because you can use it on days that feel tough in future yeah and you know what one of the things sorry that's just reminded me one of the things that I say often is use mindfulness in the good times. so of most of the time people come to learn mindfulness because they want to deal with stress or burnout anxiety or whatever it is but actually we can practice moment when the times are good as well so like yesterday I've, I've gone paddleboarding for the third time my new hobby um and I'd been out I spent some time with my partner and I just sat in the car and I just said I'm really I feel really happy today um and he said why and we talked about it and it was like that acknowledgement that awareness and that being present with the feeling of joy with the feeling of happiness and just when I'm with my friends because you know we're all quite similar I say it to them often like I love you I am so happy I'm with you and we acknowledge that as well we don't just have to acknowledge the feelings that are unhelpful acknowledge the good we can use mindfulness in the good times as well um and the final thing if it's okay I'll just say is if you feel like you do want to practice mindfulness sometimes it feels a bit self-indulgent to do a mindfulness course but it's just for you um but I think actually we should invest in ourselves and if you can find an eight-week course that really is the start of a habit and I've took many people through an eight-week course doing one-off sessions and stuff is nice um but you either have to commit to doing a course or you need to commit yourself to take the time every week because you need that time to practice um and it will form a habit and you will have it forever um so yeah invest in you (laughs) love that how can people connect with you or learn more about your work Amy if they'd like to sure so I am on Instagram that's mostly my mum audience I do a lot of work with mums um this is Amy Polly I'm on LinkedIn Amy Polly and my website is amypolly.com thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you and I know people will find this super useful um thank you yeah thank you again thank you thank you so much Thank you so much for listening. Um, We do do um, elements of mindfulness and, you know, compassion and guided imagery within the Aspiring Psychologist membership. Um, And we might well have Amy coming to the membership um, shortly too. If you would like more information um, or to jump on the waiting list so that you're there ready when the next spaces um, are available on the 2nd of September, then do head to the link on the show notes, um, which will tell you how to join um, the waiting list. Or you can head to any of my social medias and the Linktree link there for Linktree Dr. Marianne Trent will also guide you straight there. But yeah, hope you're having a lovely summer. You're being kind to yourself and you're taking time for rest and relaxation. Um, Please do know that whatever service you're working in can cope for long enough for you to take some much needed annual leave. So thank you for being part of my world and I will look forward to catching up with you again very soon for our next episode of the podcast, which comes around at 6am on Mondays, but it will be there for you when you're ready. Thank you for being part of my world and speak soon. Take care. If you're looking to become a psychologist, then let this be your guide. And experience that will help
Clinical Psychologists Collective book is the book to read for aspiring psychologists. Like most aspiring psychologists, I read all the books about becoming a clinical psychologist. While other books break down the entry criteria and speak of the course's competitiveness, the Clinical Psychologist Collective reveals the varied journeys and individual differences of those who've gotten onto and completed training. It inspired me to embrace my own journey and make the most of my experiences and identity. If you read one book about becoming a clinical psychologist, this is it. If you buy someone who aspires to be a clinical psychologist a book, this is it. This book will help freshen blossom into a more diverse group of mental health practitioners who use their backgrounds to enhance their ability to support those we serve. If you're looking to become a psychologist, then let this be your guide. With this podcast at your side, you'll be on your way to being qualified. It's the Aspiring Psychologist Podcast with Dr. Marianne Trent. Hello, my name is Veronica Kasova. I live in Edinburgh and I just graduated with a Master's in Psychology of Mental Health. Marion recommended me the Clinical Psychologist Collective when I was networking on LinkedIn and I must say I love it. Um, it is one of a kind. It's like a window into the lives of people on the path of becoming a psychologist. The stories are unique, honest and filled with a kind of intangible wisdom only personal storytelling can uncover. A common thread in the stories I valued most was to be compassionate not only with others, but with myself too. Also, not fixating on becoming a psychologist, but enjoying life, growth, and the final results will come as a byproduct. Marianne, thank you for taking the time to collate all the stories. The book is a true gem, and I think every aspiring psychologist should have a copy on their shelf. Thank you.